from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to Talking Catholic. This is Mary McCusker, uh, Talking Catholic co-host. And um, this for the first time ever, I am recording this from the comfort of my apartment. I'm not trapped in the vault. I'm not in the, in the buildings <laughs> at work. I'm nice and cozy. My dog is here. I have my coffee nearby. And um, I know it's a difficult time for a lot of people and for our listeners, but um, hopefully now's a at least a good chance to to catch up on things like podcasts and um, and maybe tuning in today. And I'm joined with the other host, Mike Walsh. Hey, how are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm well, Mary. How are you? Uh, we are actually we're, we're we're doing this on the using the Zoom web web conferencing, which I rec- recommend to anybody. And uh, it's nice because uh, you can actually see the person you're having a conversation with. So it's a more natural conversation. And uh, if you happen to be having a conversation with Mary McCusker and she's in her place, you see a ton of artwork on the back of her walls. And I'm 99% sure she's doing this while sitting on her bed (laughs) because she's (laughs) bouncing around as if she's on her bed. Mary, are you on your bed recording this? I just saw something and it was like a starter pack for Zoom calls. And it was, you know, one of them was there's always a person who's trying to pretend like they're not actually on their bed. (laughs) There's the person who only looks at themselves the entire time during the Zoom call. And I'm like, check, check. Like I fit all of these categories. (laughs) It's a useful tool, but uh, yeah. Yes, I am on my bed and I'm comfortable. I'm 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 in my office at, at home. So that's where I'm doing it from. But for you, you and I, this is actually uh, the first day that we're finally getting an opportunity to um, self-quarantine in our own homes. You and I have been sort of on the road and in, and doing a lot of work. But just yesterday, the uh, diocesan offices for the Camden Diocese officially closed down uh, to be in line with uh, Bishop's or um, Governor uh, Murphy's edict about, uh, you know, essential personnel staying off the roads and away from places. Fortunately, you and I are considered essential in terms of we're both uh, Catholic newspaper uh, employees as well. So we will be out and about um, taking photos and doing stories whenever necessary, because there's a lot of there's still a lot of stuff in the diocese going on just far stripped down with a lot less people. So we will be out and about. So you may see us from places. Yeah. And quite frankly, you and I are both digital media specialists in addition to working for the newspaper. So we're the people who are doing our best to get this information out on the Internet, which is something we're all relying. I can't tell you. I thought we were all fancy because we're doing these Zoom conference calls. But the truth of the matter is almost every entity I've seen so far, um, uh, publication, outlet, news outlet, maybe, I don't know, more than half of them have been using Zoom web conferencing. Have you noticed that in the things you follow, Mary? I was on three different Zoom calls yesterday, and um, one of them had a ton of so many people, um, and they are they are very useful. I know a lot of it's becoming more and more popular. Um, well, I've seen people doing one of the calls. What'd yeah, you ahead. say? Well, I've seen people doing Zoom birthday parties and Zoom cocktail hours, in addition to people doing like you know media stuff like we are. Well, that's creative with all. I was just reading something about canceled like weddings and huge gatherings and 
just move it all to Zoom. That's right. We can do everything else. With the Zoom. only challenge is getting everyone to mute themselves when one person is talking. So there's not <laughs> static and dogs barking in the background. And, you know, it's but it is funny to get a glance into like people's homes and just seeing them in a different way. Yeah. That has been interesting. I, I just had to let Molly out of my office so that she could uh, my, my dog, Molly, so she could go out for a bit. Is uh, Ollie anywhere around your room right now? Ollie is whining outside the bedroom door. Um, because Ollie wants to come really in. I feel really I know that if he were here, he'd be jumping all over the laptop and disrupting <laughs> the, the call and the recording. So, oh, so we, we miss Ollie. But we are hanging in there. Okay. Well, that's good. And we have a very special episode today. This is one we've had planned for a while. And it's sort of in the light of... Um, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, it's sort of taken on a completely new perspective. So we're going to change gears a little bit with it. And um, but Mary, why don't you introduce who our guest is? Our guest is Katie Cumberford. Cumberford. I think I already butchered that. Can you correct me, Katie? That was perfect. <laughs> I don't know if I said Cumberford. And then I looked at your uh, your Zoom name, the actual text Cumberford. Is that yes. right? Yes, that is. I'm sorry, Katie. Welcome, oh, Katie. <laughs> and I also, you mentioned your title before, and I know I'll get that wrong as usual because so many of the people in our diocese have these long titles and they're always such a mouthful and I can never remember. So can you just give us your title? <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm the Associate Director of Development for the House of Charity Bishop's Annual Appeal. Now, in Katie's defense, we can't blame her for half of that, because for whatever reason, 20 years ago in the, the House of Charity Bishop's Annual Appeal uh, was de developed, maybe 30 years ago even, um, I, they couldn't really determine a name. So it was, it was always, it's been the Bishop's Annual Appeal, the House of Charity, and they couldn't decide on just doing one of them, so they put them together. So now we have these, what, seven words that we use on a regular basis. However, in shorthand parlance, uh, Katie, what do you usually say? Do you just say the whole thing just or just say, say House of Charity? I just, yeah, I say House of Charity, Associate Director for the House of Charity. That's the nice, quick way to say it. And it's <laughs> that that's quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so what exactly does that, now Katie is a returning guest, so some of our listeners may have heard from her before, but if you don't recall what Katie does, Katie, can you tell us about the House of Charity? Absolutely. So I am the manager of the House of Charity Bishop's Annual Appeal, and we essentially support a bunch of different ministries throughout the diocese on a year-to-year -year basis to help them continue to do the great works that they do. So, you know, we rely heavily on generous donations from the parishioners and even visitors to the parishes to help us continue to reach our goal each and every year. Um, and one of the areas which, you know, Mary is obviously very familiar with is Catholic Charities. So we do uh, a large portion of what we raise goes to Catholic Charities each year. So um, it's a very rewarding job. It can be challenging at times, but uh, I enjoy every bit of it. You know, it's one of the things I get to work on uh, semi-regularly, and uh, the communications department, the development department work closely for on the House of Charity, and uh, it's rather joyous because we get the opportunity to 
as we're putting the, each year, you know, it starts in uh, in midwinter every year in terms of when it, when it kicks off and rolls out to the parishes. And we create all this content. And the ability to create the content means we get to go out and see all the great things that the House of, Jer- House of Charity provides for around the diocese. And uh, which is great because a lot of what it's many things that are, it provides for through Catholic charities. So we get to see a lot of what they the great work they do. But um, we also get to talk to vocations um, and, and a lot of our ministries, uh, Hispanic ministry, black Catholic ministry. And it's nice to go out there and seeing, you know, these we have so such great, generous donors in our diocese who, you know, do the because of their donations, we're able to do such great work. And through the House of Charity and the promotion of it, we're actually able to see it and promote. Here's here's how we're here's how your your money is turning into um, good opportunity. You know, I have to imagine even Mary working for Catholic Charities like you do. That's something you guys see all the time. I was just about to say it's you know for people like me who. They're in Catholic charities every day. They see the clients who are coming in. They see the staff who are working closely with these clients. And, you know, I see the hardships. I see why people come through our doors. And usually it's a time of crisis. They're um, they're facing eviction. They may have already lost their home. They're hungry. They don't have clothes. Um, and some people you know, need counseling, they have um, mental health problems and problems with addiction. These are veterans. These are just the poorest of the poor in South Jersey. And so I, I, I see that every day and I see, you know, I see what this money does <laughs> and what it does is just create these stories, which it's my job to highlight. Um, and, it's it's just amazing to witness. I've said this before on the podcast, but just seeing the way people can really transform and go from like this state of crisis and hopelessness and just flourish through the help of our case managers and our programs. And like that is easily that is the best part of my job. That's what gets me up in the morning is and that is literally because of the house of charity it's because of house of charity um you know that that money is is gold to us i could go on forever (laughs) and you know the um it's interesting just hearing you talk it kind of dovetails into what this year's house of charity theme is katie what, what is the house of charity theme this year who is my neighbor? Yeah. yeah. No, uh, and I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of the things we try to try to promote in, in the in the communications about the House of Charity, that, that the people we're taking care of isn't th- – these aren't people who are necessarily far away from you. They could very well be in the, in the door next to you, in the house next to you. Right, Katie? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was uh, – this is my first full House of Charity campaign to see from start to finish as the associate director – and I must say, with the Who Is My Neighbor theme, I was just so excited and proud for that to be my first one, um, because, you know, it really does make you think about who is my neighbor, especially now with all that, you know, we're going through um, and all the challenges that people are overcoming, you know, now more than ever, we really need to support our neighbors in need. And we're going to continue to see that uh, growing over the next, you know, weeks, months, however long, Um 
So I think who is my neighbor is a good reminder, yeah. you know, and that's, uh, you know, Mary, you and I were talking about that yesterday in terms of you know, just talking about the current, you know, pandemic and the need that's there. You were telling me that the Catholic Catholic charities offices are, are being hit every day, right? Particularly down in the Atlantic City area. Oh, right. I mean, before this pandemic, um, like I said, in all six counties of South Jersey, we have offices and every day there are before this pandemic, people would come in with needs. Um, these are the poorest people, the most vulnerable. Um, they're in these crises and, you know, we're there to help that. When you add a pandemic to this and all the things that come with a pandemic, people losing their jobs, um, people who don't have access to to food, um, you know, shelves are being completely cleared out. So imagine somebody who's working two jobs and then they try to go grocery shopping and there's nothing there for them. Um, people are out of work. People there's a whole new population of people that we're seeing who before this, you know, they were making ends meet. They were living paycheck to paycheck. I think that's the case for the majority of Americans, but now people are out of work, <laughs> um, government agencies and those, that assistance only goes so far. So we are seeing a whole, a huge massive influx of people who yeah. are, a lot of them have said like, I, I can't believe I'm, it's almost a sense of shame, which is really sad. Um, people who thought I would never, ever need help from a charity, you know, it's, I mean, even to me, it's hard to imagine, but I mean, it's understandable. People yeah. have mouths to feed and the strain on um, parents who now have to take care of kids at home. I mean, and then the mental toll on top of that, like it's, it's a lot <laughs> and the ripple effects of it are, it's, it's been on one hand, just so, so tragic to see, you know, how much this has exacerbated poverty that's already existed in South Jersey. But on the other hand, you know, I've been on calls every single day with staff um, at my, my colleagues at Catholic Charities and just seeing how, calm they have been and how proactive and how in some ways this is nothing new to them. Um, I mean, a pandemic, yes, that's new, but they're, they're used to disaster response ever since nine 11, we have had a very, very active um, disaster response team um, where we have are, they've already put plans um you know, they, they have plans in the event that something like this were to happen. If our offices were to ever close, what would we do? Um, how would we still serve our clients? And just witnessing, you know, they're calm, they're, they're taking action, and they're still serving clients, even though our offices are closed. The services are still active. And just seeing all that, like, creative um, – and positive energy that they've spilled into this and the dedication that they keep on top of the stress that they themselves are feeling from this pandemic. Yeah. Um, you were telling me yesterday that um, some of the caseworkers said that it, it was worse than uh, what they went through with Superstorm Sandy, right? I've heard a number of people who have been at Catholic Charities for a while. Some have said that this reminds them of the aftermath of 9-11. 
um, which kind of startled me to hear that. You know, I was, I think, in third grade when 9-11 happened, so I can't really speak to the, uh, you know, the, the chaos following that. Sandy, though, I mean, Atlantic City especially has seen a number of crises. You know, there was Sandy, there was um, when all the casinos closed and thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs. Um, and, you know, our, our team in Atlantic City, in Atlantic City, they were on top of that. You know, we, we came out with um, a new program specifically for the casino crisis, specifically for Hurricane Sandy and for Atlantic City employment. Um, so, you know, that's, that's all that, we can do is just react and keep pushing forward. And, um, but yes, in terms of the severity, people have said that, that it, it reminds them of Sandy when, you know, people literally lost their homes and, and their jobs and people kind of just line up outside the office and they are in need of help. And yeah, so it's, it is very, very severe. And the and worst gotta- part is I think it's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And that kind of takes us right back to Katie again. So this here's some examples of, you know, real hardships that are going on, particularly in South Jersey, but all over the country. And when that happens, we need to rely on, uh, you know, financial contributions to help support us. So certainly the House of Charity, this this year's theme wasn't created with the coronavirus in mind. But, you know, as we as we're thinking about what's going on right now, we can see a lot of examples out of what uh, the House of Charity does do by providing services all around our diocese. Um, so, I, you know, Katie, you you speak with parishioners on a regular basis on a regular basis. How do you sort of broach it to them as their spiritual duty to, you know, support things like the House of Charity? Oh, absolutely. So um, when speaking with them at at this point, it's all about what they can do, you know, whether it's their time, their talent, their treasure. So when I speak with them, um, it's about what can we do to support, you know, our ministries? What can we do to support the House of Charity? And, you know, many times people, um, if they aren't able to contribute, they're willing to come into the parish and, and help in the volunteer aspect, which, in my opinion, is just as important as making a financial contribution. Yeah. Um, I've spoken with a woman that stopped her cable to make a donation to the house charity. Wow. And <laughs> that's I mean, that's real commitment. Situations right there. like that. Right. It, it honestly, it, it humbles you when you talk to somebody that. Um, has such a strong belief in what the House of Charity does and what we, um, who we support. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I I felt very proud at that moment. But honestly, it's whatever they can do because we don't know anybody's situation. So the last thing we want to do is arm twist them into doing something that isn't comfortable, right? So right. it's all about allowing them to make their own educated decision on what they can do. Yeah. So, you know, we give them the tools to learn about what areas we support and what those ministries do in order to support, you know, those in need. And, you know, they, they're able to figure out um, what they can do. And a lot of them, they, they show up, you know, yeah. And it's important now more than ever that we stick together and we continue to um, support these ministries because it's, as Mary had said, this is going to grow now. Like more people are going to be in need of these services and the House of Charity can't afford to slow down. You know, we're going to have more people to support. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, we're not, I mean, we, but no, no entity like the diocese or the house of charity or Catholic charities is, is unaware that we, we know our donors are being affected too. And, and you know, it's not, like you said before, it's not arm twisting necessarily that you must, you must give, but maybe you can give a little bit, maybe, and, or maybe you can give a little bit later when things, things lighten up for you a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it's, there is a reality to, to what, um, financial development and capital campaigns are like. And, uh, we're very aware of that. We know people are hurting and if you can't give now, you know, we're hopeful that you can, you can give later. Um, but it's important to remember that that one of the things that our our Catholic faith is about is you know almsgiving and charity, and particularly during Lent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no mm-hmm. accident that we we that the House of Charity starts usually the the weekend before or a few weekends before Lent, depending on where Lent is during the calendar, because you know there is a Lenten sacrifice to to things like the House of Charity. Now we're talking about the Camden Diocese in specific here, but every diocese. So if you're you're in another part of the world, I don't know a single diocese that doesn't have something similar to this. Katie, you've worked mm-hmm. you've worked all over the place. Uh, I'm going to say that our House of Charity is pretty typical for most dioceses, right? Yeah. Okay. The um, so it's it's the kind of thing that if you're listening elsewhere, you know, and you have never given to a, a campaign like this, you might want to really consider it. And what we tell people is is that you know the House of Charity is a, is a sacrificial um, donation. So we have our our weekly donations that we give to our parish and the collection. The the uh, in our case, the diocesan House of Charity is a, a little something extra. Um, you know, what would you say the average donation to the House of Charity is, Katie? I would say the average is about two fifty. Yeah, two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. Okay. Which so, over the course of a year is a, I think that's a very reasonable amount, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we still, you know, we get those five thousands, we get the one thousands, um, but a lot of the gifts that we see come in are in that two hundred and fifty dollar range. Yeah. That's, which is a, a perfectly reasonable amount, I would say. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The um, no, I, I I think that's good, and and you know the development staff, you know this is something that's also that's very important to the diocese, and you can you can tell it's important because the development department has a has a hardy staff. It's a it's it's no small thing to put together financial development for an entire diocese. Um, it takes a lot of people um, to to sort of fund that money through. What I often tell people is I use Cardinal Tobin's statement of uh, a budget is a theological document. You know our our financials are some. That we Mike, have. that's written on the um, the whiteboard in your office. It is written on the whiteboard in my <laughs> office, so I never forget. Every time I do my budget, I realize, I think about, well, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And, uh, certainly for us, that's the communications department, but the communications department, all we're trying to uh, accomplish is spiritual things. So I make sure, and I write that down all the time, and I'm very appreciative of Cardinal Tobin having said it. He said it during the... Um, the Convocation of Catholic Leaders, the Joy of the Gospel and the uh, Joy of the Gospel in the United States in July of 2017, which I attended. I happened to be there. It wasn't the focal point of his presentation. It was kind of a one-off in the middle of it. And it just, it resonated so much because I'm like, you know, everything we think is important, we need to make sure we're budgeting for. And if we're not putting money behind it, then we're not really committed to it. So we have to think of our budgets as theological documents. So... Welcome to being a part of scripture, Katie. 
Nice, nice job. <laughs> and it takes a special kind of person to do what you do, Katie. I don't know how you can, because you're one of those people who are so just kind and genuine and nice to be around. But like, I'd imagine you, you got to be tough for this type of job too. Like, you know, and having that like savvy ability to be both. I mean, I, I could, I could never do it, and I'm <laughs> but I know you've boat. had a lot of experience in this. Yeah, so, Katie, uh, what is it that makes a good uh, financial development person? Like, particularly I when it comes to the ask. Yeah, uh, well, you have to believe in what you're sharing, right? And at the end of the day, um, you're inviting them into something that's bigger than all of us. And I'm just sharing, um, you know, what we do. I'm not forcing anybody into anything, as I had said before. So because I believe so much in it, it's easy for me to talk to somebody and let them know all the wonderful things that we do through the House of Charity and all the wonderful people that we support. And a lot of the times, um, you know, the people that I'm talking to believe in it, too. And yes, it's it's hard sometimes um, in fundraising. You know, it's just another thing we're asking for money. Um, but I have it's a tendency imp- oh, God, getting sorry, God. somebody uh, uh, at the end of a conversation. So um, or by the end of a conversation. So it, it ends up being uh, difficult, but worth it. But you, you got to believe in it. And I think I feel like, you know, something you said just there um, was important that, you know, it's it's not a sales pitch per se. It's a conversation with a person and really helping them to understand where the need is and how we're able to help alleviate that need through our our donation. Um, and it took me a long, long time to understand that. Like I, I much like everyone else, um, well, not everyone else. Unlike people like Katie, um, I have always had a very difficult time with whenever someone would ask me to fundraise for something. Matter of fact, to be truthful with you, I didn't really get comfortable with it at all until uh, we started Catholic Strong in the Diocese of Camden three, four years ago, which is also where I first met Katie when she was working for Changing Our World. She was one of our first directors um, when she was uh, she came in and helped us with the this this capital campaign that's raised uh, pledged uh, over 40 million dollars in the Diocese of Camden, which is I'm, I'm just stunned that we had such a great return on that. Um but prior to that, before I really got, and I had worked in development before in another job where communications and development were part of the same department. Um, man, I did everything I could to get a, to not do the development stuff. And I had a good boss who trained me well, and but I was never comfortable with it until we started doing Changing Our World. And, you know, for years I would refuse when people would ask me to do, oh, Mike, can you do a pulpit announcement to uh, talk about the, the need for things? And when I came to the realization of just how important it was for for our Catholic Strong campaign, which was really dedicated to the parishes, 70% 70 of, even though it was a diocesan-wide campaign, 70% of everything that was raised in the parishes was going to go back to the parish. 30% was going to be diocesan money, but it was going to be used specifically for new programs that had never existed before. So all that money was coming in and then going right back out again um, to, to help people. And, uh, you know, one of my old parishes came to me and says, hey, Mike, would you be willing to uh, to do the presentation? And I said, um, <laughs> no, but I will because I believe in this. And I did. And it really and 
I was shocked it actually had made a big difference. Like like uh, both the pastor and the people were were very responsive to listening to this, you know, mushmouth PR director talk about the importance of the campaign. Because in my case, that was my home parish, um, which I was no, which I had moved to a different parish, but that was a parish I grew up in. And I was able to explain that, you know, from a very real perspective of someone who was a parishioner there, why, how the campaign was really going to positively, positively impact the parish. And uh, yeah, it was meaningful. And that touches on something that Katie said about, you know, you have to believe what you're selling. Um, I think that's what you said. And that's so that's so true. I mean, how much can you really be dedicated to this and like have your level of energy and dedication and perseverance if, you know, you don't see all the time the good that it does. So I know that's important. I remember being in college and when I had I was in um, uh, marketing and this is before I changed my major to journalism, but in uh, in marketing, I, I was sitting through classes of like how to sell things. And it kept going back to, I'm sorry, St. Joe's, I love you, but it always came da- back to food marketing. And for some reason, every project I was assigned, it was always um, like a semester long project of how to sell potato chips or something like that. And God bless the people in those fields. Like that's that's great. But I was just thinking like, God, like I, I need something that I can really put my energy behind and really believe in. And that's why, you know, I found myself drawn to service. Like you're, you're, you're selling a service that, that you believe in. I think for a lot of people, you really need to, to really know that what you're selling, it, it's good stuff. (laughs) So that's a good question, Katie. How did you get uh, drawn into Catholic fundraising? It's, it's actually funny. I was uh, going to piggyback off of what Mary said. Um, my entire career has been based off of fundraising. And once I, my first uh, campaign with parishes was in St. Louis. And um, initially, you know, it was tough because not everybody is comfortable with, with raising money, especially within the parishes. So, you know, once you kind of give them those tools and show them that they can do it, teach them, coach them, and you see that end result. It's just such a rewarding experience. And um, just knowing what the appeal does, though, um, uh, with changing our world, it was more of a broad aspect. You know, I helped the pastors, you know, run their campaigns. And um, being an associate director of House of Charity, it's just, it takes on a whole new level of responsibility and just um, pure passion for me. Um, I've never, and I always loved the jobs that I have done in the past, but this is definitely, uh, the most passionate I felt about something and the responsibility I feel to be successful for the parishes, for the ministries, for the department development, for the diocese as a whole. It's just, uh, it's overwhelming at times in a good way. Um, you know, know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. But knowing that the money we raise goes to the ministries within the diocese, it's just, uh, it's a wonderful feeling for me. And um, I I truly enjoy what I do. You know, that's what gets me, gets me to get through fundraising, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, in in addition to selling what you believe in and and fundraising for it, um, do you have development tips that, you know, parishes and other dioceses could use in terms of, you know, what what they should be doing, how they should be broaching, you know, when, mm-hmm. if, if they're doing campaigns similar to this? 
Yeah. So one of the things that I always push with parishes, and a lot of them have taken my um, my suggestions this year, which was really exciting, is getting somebody uh, to speak to um what the house of charity does, you know, how they're supporting people. So I know Catholic charities has been so great at sending people at mass to speak about how it's personally impacted them. Vitality, um, you know, vocations, all the different um, areas, hearing from somebody to get that personal story. I feel like um, it shows the parishioners that their um, donation matters, that what they're giving to the campaign, whether it be house charity or something else, you know, it makes a true difference. And a lot of people respond to that, you know, having the opportunity to hear from someone that isn't Katie Comerford, yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody that is uh, in the trenches um, receiving those funds. Um, another thing that I would say is communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, especially with Catholic Strong, I think it's important for parishioners to see where that money is going, how the parish, because 70% of the funds raised goes back to them. How are they utilizing it? What are they seeing within the parish? You know, um, seeing their dollars at work, I think, makes a huge difference. Um, so just continuing to share mm -hmm. and keeping the parishioners updated on what's going on. Sometimes I feel... Um, they, they can get disconnected if they're, you know, donating and then they don't hear anything about, you know, what's what's happening. Yeah. So in my opinion, that's a that's a big one. Um, and making your uh, request as personal as possible. So, yeah, mailings are uh, a great way to get in touch with a lot of people at once. But um, taking that time to sit down with somebody telling them what's going on at the parish, how their donation will make a true difference and how, um, you know, appreciated they are as a, as a donor, as a parishioner, um, as a, a member of the community, um, that makes a difference. Uh, the percentage of giving after a one-on-one -on -one visit um, is is so much higher than, than sending a, a mailing. So um, I always suggest doing that and, and receptions, you know, getting a, a small group of people together. Obviously, right now, that's not something that can happen. Yeah. But um, I just I find that those, you know, are, are successful tips, um, you know, making it personal, sharing stories um, and communicating. Yeah, there, there really and, is nothing that's that's that'll ever be more useful than person to person contact. And you're right, certainly in, in the era, in the era of the coronavirus, that's going to be difficult. Though who knows, maybe yeah. Zoom will work just as well. But um, uh, but it is true. You you can't you. <laughs> it's so much simpler to send a mailing, but you really, if you really want to be successful, you need people need to see you. They need to look in your eyes. They need to trust you. They need yep. to. They, and it's not. And this isn't. You know, hucksterism. This is. You know, really imparting to a person in, in their space and saying, you know, thank you for even being interested, and here's how you can help. Uh, Mary, you want to say something? Yeah. Um Katie, you had sent, I know you had sent Kevin Hickey, um, Catholic Charities Executive Director, an email, you know, asking, is there any staff who are willing to speak at parishes and kind of have that personal testimony and share that? And I have to tell you that when Kevin forwarded that email to Catholic Charities staff, most of whom are, are case managers and caseworkers, most of them are 
terrified of public speaking. That is just not their thing at all. They are used to the one-on-one personal encounters with clients. Um, but the language that Kevin used talking about how important this, this appeal is, I was blown away. Um, he said, you know, anybody who can and is willing to speak please reply to this email. And so I'm hearing the chatter go around the office like, oh, I'm so scared. Like, I I don't like public speaking. But so many people ended up saying, you know what, add me to the list. If this is my chance to thank people, if this is my chance to share, like, the good work that's being done, then, like, then sign me up. And public speaking is a very, very real fear for a lot of people. It was for me for a long time, so I can... I can relate, but wait, wait, you're not, I'm, you're not scared of it anymore. Cause I, I, have know, to, I'm, I have to, I'm still terrified. Okay, when okay. I say like scared before, I mean, like I wouldn't be able to eat. I wouldn't be able to sleep if I knew I had to speak to an audience greater than like five people. You know <laughs> it what? was really, really bad. Come to think of it, Mary, I think you should be our justice for all MC next year. Our, our gala dinner. You my blood pressure just like I, I feel my heart racing. <laughs> you know, fun fact: I'm actually uh, terrified of public speaking. Really? No. You're yeah. one of those. You're one of those people where I hear you talking. I'm like, God, I wish I sounded like her. I wish I could be <laughs> eloquent and clear. And well, if you I think about it, all three of us are that. introverted. I mean, I'm a. I have terrible introversion. I've only been able to succumb to you know to get to. Um, to get above it simply by sheer will, you know, it's, it's like, but it's like every time we go to do so, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you know, every time I go to do something, um, like I'll say like, it'll be two months away and I'll say, Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'll do that. No problem. And then the day comes, I'm like, what was I thinking? Please let this event be canceled. I don't want to go do this. Like I've had to travel for it. And I'm like, please let my can't my flight be canceled. Please let the, you know, hotel burn down. I don't want anyone to get hurt, but you know, anything that will keep me from doing what I have to do. Cause Oh my, I have such terror, but then you get there and you get through it and you realize, oh, that wasn't half bad. That was okay. Right, Katie? Exactly. It's never that awful, is it? It, it isn't. And honestly, um, it's the minutes leading up to it. And then, mm. um, well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick fun, fun story. So um, we have our volunteer acknowledgement um, dinner at Tomasella Winery each year. So um, we had it in June. And I had, obviously, because I'm the Associate Director of Development, I had to do a lot of speaking that night at the podium. And I was sweating. I was so nervous. And I was like, all right, anything that I can do to not speak the whole time, um, can somebody do the uh, 50-50 raffle? Uh, So I'll speak and then you do the raffle. Uh, I got up, then called Robin to come do the 50-50. I got so comfortable up there. By the end of it, I was doing the 50-50. I was walking (laughs) around. So uh, once you get up there and you get started, you're fine. It's It's it's, the anticipation. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I used to have to write, I remember for presentations um, in college and even after that, I used to actually had to, I had to write um, in like my script or notes, breathe. <laughs> I had to like <laughs> remind, because I realized that was my problem. I wouldn't actually like breathe and then my heart would start racing. And, but yeah, once you get first, once you get past those first few minutes, I think it does become a lot easier. And to I would com- have never guessed that about you, though, Katie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That makes me feel good. And to be completely transparent, uh, Mary is terrified every time we're about to start a podcast. She's 
constantly trying to get out of it and uh, never volunteers for it. I always have to make her do it. And then she comes on and she's great. If anything, yeah. she she's no, even chattier than she would expect. I listen to it after and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what was but, I Actually, though, if uh, you know, that's a good tip for people, though, if you do do these things like uh, do, you know, have to do any public speaking and you're not comfortable with it. I always give two pieces of advice. Look to see if there's a Toastmasters club in your area. Toastmasters. Yes, they're great with um, teaching you all the ins and outs of public speaking. And, and there's a there's an entire philosophy to it and how you organize your thoughts and things like that. And it's a it's a very useful thing to do. I, I give that uh, all the time. But the other thing that you really need to do is if you have the opportunity to to hear yourself, uh, record it yourself, or someone records it for you, go back and watch it. So you can, A, number one, see that you weren't as terrible as you like, thought you were. That's traumatizing for some people. No, people don't like the sound of their own voices. Well, I, that's true, but you have to, that's one of the things you have to get past. Like for me, yeah. if I have had any success on the podcast at all, it has to do with the fact that I actually go back and listen to them again and try to figure out where all of my ticks are. Um, you know, for one thing, you know, I'm still fighting against the ums. I use them all the time and, and I try to stop, but sometimes they creep in. And, and the worst part is if you can force yourself to stop using an um in the middle of your sentence and just instead pause. So because that's that all. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's all an um does. It's just a pause to get your brain. The thing is. If you drop the um and just pause, it actually makes you sound smarter because it seems like you're But reflecting. it makes us so uncomfortable. Like right. We're so not okay with pausing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But if you read the eyes of the audience, it certainly doesn't work on a podcast like this. But if you read the eyes of an audience, when you pause, so long as it's not like a crazy pause, so long as it's just you know less than a second or, or maybe a right. second or two, uh, if you people will be hanging on your next words, waiting to hear what comes at the end of that pause. And it may be nothing, maybe superfluous, who, who knows, might be the most powerful thing you say. But um, see, there I did it again. Figuring out how to drop uh, the ums and using pauses instead, yeah, it actually improves. And the likes. Yeah, for- and the likes, right, stuff like that. Uh, it actually improves your, your speaking style. What about you, Katie? Any any suggestions for improving, aside from getting up there and doing the raffle or drinking? Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I always um, – you know, I need to make sure that I'm comfortable with the material. So when when I'm not 100%, you know, familiar with it, that's when, you know, it becomes difficult up there, you know? So <laughs> that is very true. And I just have to practice, 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 yeah. make sure that I, I know what I'm saying. Don't need to always, you know, I, I have bullets, but I don't like to have an entire script in front of me because that'll throw me off if I miss a word. But, um, See, I, I said, um, <laughs> but if I'm familiar enough with the material and I know that I've done my due diligence to make sure that I know all the points I need to hit for me, that's enough to get up there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that for a lot of people, it would be helpful not to go up there and wing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the only you time are, there are people who have that ability to wing it. And I am so jealous of those. Your, I know. your boss is one of them, Mary. Yeah. There are a number of Kevin Hickey is one of them where it's like he knows. Like I, I spend hours, you know, preparing and reading and practicing. And I still don't sound half as good as people who have that ability to. Oh, yeah, I'll be fine. They get up there and just nail it and yeah. i'm so envious of those people <laughs> yeah kevin is great with that isn't he he is 
He really is. He's so good at I make fun of him on a regular basis about it. he'll come to we'll we'll be in these directors meetings and everyone else around the table have these notes and he's got nothing in front of him and he just wings it. And I, I finally called him out in front of a meeting. I was like, I just want to point out Kevin is coming unprepared. He just makes all this stuff up as he's sitting there. Oh, and as if you don't, Mike. No, that's just it. I, I'm I'm a note taker. The only time I come in completely unprepared is for the podcast. Uh, not quite completely unprepared, but I'll do a little yeah, bit leave of it to me and that's, that's and then right. you wonder why I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> that that does help. The um, no, I don't. I don't have anything written down. You know, I'll do a little bit of preparation just to make sure I have everybody's name right and title right and things of that nature. Maybe a little bit bit of background if I don't know a lot about them. But as a general rule, I don't because I always consider this the part of the interview process. So I want to hear what you have to say and I want to respond to it and then bring my perspective to it and we go back and forth. But for a presentation, yeah, I'd be yeah. far more wise to to have a few notes in front of you. But I'm the same way as you are, Katie. Uh, if I write everything down in front of me, like if I do it as a script form, unless I actually keep to that script and, and I don't plan on going off the script at all, I, I if I use the script and it, it'll screw me up, I, I have to use the notes and then I'll kick myself later because I'll forget something. Come to think of it, you know, going back to when I had to do the the Catholic Strong presentation, I had my notes for the so I did three, a four thirty, an eight thirty, and a ten thirty. So the four thirty on Saturday, I had written this entire script out and was planning to just read off the script. And then the pastor, God love him, did a little preview of what I was going to come up and talk about from the pulpit uh, after Mass had completed, and he used all of my stuff. Everything <sighs> I was going to say to the letter he used. <gasps> oh, no. And I had to completely redo my speech as oh, I was no. walking up to the, the thing. And so I, fortunately, I, because it was my home parish and I knew some of the stuff that had gone on since I left... I just spoke off the top of my head, and it was unbelievable. It was great. It was wonderful. So I then, thought you were about to say, and it was horrible. No. But, wow, but, okay, that took a positive turn. But wait for it. Yeah. So the next day, this was part of a merged parish. So that was one church the, the, the night before. And then the next morning at the 830, I was like, oh, I got this covered. I'll do the exact same thing again. I know what he's going to say, so now I know what I'm going to say. It was a train wreck. I How for what that? all And... So I couldn't tell if it was because it was a completely different audience. I couldn't tell if it was because it was 8.30 in the morning. That's probably what it was. I could be. Yeah. yeah. But the shtick that I did at 4.30 did not work at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> and nothing. And I had no, I mean, there was no back and forth with the with the audience there or the congregation. There was, no, there was nothing. It was just dead. And I, was, I felt terrible afterwards. And then when I did the 10.30, the 10.30 ended up being about someplace in the middle, proving once again that I should not be around other human beings in the morning. I am definitely later in the day kind of guy. As, as we're sitting here recording, we started recording this at 11.30 a.m. This will mean it'll be, at a, it'll be a middling podcast for everyone who's listening. Yes. <laughs> so, Katie, you know, Katie now, now oh. that you've been a part of the diocese for the last uh, year and a half officially... Um, mm -hmm. how have you been enjoying it? We had you on the podcast once before when you, when you'd only been only for a few months, I think. So how's it now been now? Yeah. You got a full year and plus under your belt. I love it. Um, it's, it's been such a wonderful experience and the people that you get to work with is just, it, it's so much fun and getting to know the pastors at a better level, uh, the volunteers going around to all the different parishes and 
just getting to know the diocesan staff too. It's been wonderful and I, I truly do enjoy it. And I feel like every day, you know, I get better and better. So, uh, you know, there's always a lot to learn and I'm still learning. Yeah. But it's definitely been a great experience in a place that I, I truly enjoy working for. Yeah, uh, that Katie, is. I don't know if. Oh, sorry, uh, Mike. No, no, guys. Go both keep starting to talk at the same time. <laughs> That's because we're chatterbox. For being uh, me being an introvert and you being scared of public speaking, we both uh, like to talk an awful lot. <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Mary? Katie, I don't even know if this is something that you can share, but I remember the first time I met you, um, Kevin Hickey introduced us, and you told me one of the funniest things I've ever heard um, from one of your previous roles and you don't have to say any names, but it involved um, a conversation where you actually saw somebody leave and drive away. <laughs> Is that something you're allowed to share or, or oh, I mean, it's not this diocese, so it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, of like horror stories and uh, public speaking and things that can go wrong. This, this one had me almost just, cracking up. <laughs> oh gosh. So I was in the middle of the meeting and the pastor said he'd be right back. And his, his office faces the parking lot. So, and, and there's a big window behind his desk. So I'm sitting there waiting. And then all of a sudden I see the pastor through the window, get in his car and drive away. <laughs> and I went out to the parish secretary and she was like, I am so sorry. Oh, no. I said, it's okay, but just let them know we got to finish this meeting at some point, you know? <laughs> so I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> See, no that's the me. stuff where, like, I wouldn't be able to move on after that. But the fact that you, you know, you stick with it and... <laughs> I have to remember to do that next time Mary's in my office. Just sort of just walk off and drive away. That's great. Just be right back and then ghost somebody. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> The uh, that's oh, that's hysterical. The um, now now the, perhaps a little bit more important, uh, Katie. Um, how have you been keeping up with your with your Marveldom? Uh, I know your husband is a huge Marvel fan, much like myself. Um, are you, as oh. I am, you know, quite you know worried with the coronavirus that we may not be getting our Black Widow and the Eternals movies um, soon enough? Is your you know. It is uh, that that is something that my husband's a little bit more worried about than I am. But in my opinion, uh, are they still um, taping or filming uh, Black Widow or is that all finished? Well, that's in the can. That's that's supposed to come out May 1st, I think. So that so one's good. That but the Eternals are still, I think, being put together. Because uh, I keep thinking there's a lot of movies that were just sent directly to on demand, which obviously is awful for uh, the theaters. Right. But what if they just put Black Widow on there. I mean, some of these, they're selling them for like 20 bucks to, to rent yeah, on right. demand. And, you know, when you're locked in, in your house, you know, you might actually spend that $20. Yeah. I know I did. Uh, <laughs> I feel a little, <laughs> I feel a little embarrassed to admit it. <laughs> what, what did you watch? Uh, so we watched The Hunted. Oh, the, the new one with uh, the woman from uh, the actress from Glow, uh, oh, Betty Gilpin. I don't know if I, I yes, the blonde. Yes. Yeah, that's her. Okay. I've been yes. wanting to see it. That was the one that was held up for a year because of uh, some of his content, right? That was really, yeah, yeah. That was supposed that. to come out in August and uh, it was held up till the end of the year. And I heard it was supposed to be a very, I, I heard it was supposed to be a very good movie, um, like a good summer popcorn movie. And then it got held and I was 
I was looking forward to seeing it and I was disappointed. But then I saw that, yeah, a lot of the, you know, we're all kind of figuring out how to handle the coronavirus. And, you know, uh, Catholic parishes have been live streaming their masses now for the, for the better part of a week, I guess now. And it actually kind of made a lot of sense that, you know, these big budget movies are going to have to find a new place to live because you still want them to come out. And because of the uncertainty, when we don't know when we're going to come back into uh, movie theaters again and being in groups again, when I saw that a lot of them, I think the first to do it was uh, Disney Plus by releasing Frozen 2 like three months early. I was, I was like, you know what? That's a kind thing to do. Now, they're going to make money on it, and that's great, too. And I, I certainly don't begrudge that. But the fact that they're coming out early when there's new stuff we're going to need to do. For me, it was uh, the biggest concern going back to the Marvel stuff was um, Disney Plus is also supposed to have all these Marvel TV shows. And they yeah. they are held up in production, and that does oh. make me sad because Winter so- a Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to come out, I think, in August or September. And I think that might get delayed. Oh, and worse no. yet, we might get the Mandalorian delayed, which means no more Baby Yoda for a little while longer, which would upset me because who doesn't I love, love Baby-, Baby Yoda? But I think we can use a break from from that. <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> they, they, that was all over the place for what, too Baby long. Baby Yoda? Or yeah, Star Wars? I love- <sighs> Baby Yoda. The did memes you, I'm did, talking about. Oh, okay. yeah. Wait, Those did memes you? Were they were, it was a little much... Did you, but actually, you know what? I kind of miss them now that everything I see is, you know, coronavirus related coronavirus. But yeah. that's where we are. <laughs> Did you actually watch The Mandalorian, Mary? I haven't. You should. It's outstanding. I haven't. Katie, and people did you watch told it? Told me to watch that. And what's the other one? Um, the other series related to Star Wars. Not Clone, the Wars? Clone Wars. Clone, yep. Yeah. And I haven't gotten there yet either. And I don't know why. <laughs> Like well, I had disappointments about the most recent movies that have come out and it's just made me think like just the original trilogy, forget the prequels and, you know, the newer ones I, I liked, but I had issues with, and I just want to remember star Wars well, as I did before all of this. <laughs> well, here's the thing. That's why you need to watch the Mandalorian. Cause that's it, what people keep telling it is me just like the original star Wars. It's, 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 it's really the, if you think of the original star Wars as sort of a, uh, a spaghetti Western slash uh, Japanese samurai movie, the Mandalorian is a absolutely a science fiction uh, or fantasy uh, Western. It's outstanding. Maybe I will check it out then. Katie when has- you said, uh, you know, there's something much more important. I thought we were going to talk about, you know, the the virus or uh, some important <laughs> diocesan announcement. But no, I hear Marvel. I'm like, is that really what he just said? Well, the last time Katie <laughs> was on. Katie's we- on board with it. I'm like, that's my time to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last time Katie was on, we were talking about that a little bit. So I just wanted to, with our, as we're wrapping up in the last 20 seconds, I just wanted to hit back at it one more time. But uh, Katie, thank you very much for joining us. It was really really a pleasure speaking to you even if we had to do it remotely but i promise we'll have everybody back in the vault soon mary thank you very no, much no not the vault <laughs> no the vault love the vault <laughs> all right well thank you both for for hanging on the uh, the zoom call with us today and thank everybody for for checking us out and listening yeah. and we will be back next week see everybody